There now follows a partly political broadcast by the Truth Party. Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 10th day of May, 2009. First off, as always, I'd like to encourage my listeners to look into the websites CorbettReport.com and AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com. At CorbettReport.com, you'll be able to find previous episodes of this podcast as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by the Corbett Report in the past. At alqaedadoesnexist.com, you'll be able to find more information about our forthcoming and still-coming documentary, Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist. And I'd like to inform my listeners that the second installment, Part 2 of Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist, is just days away from being released. So please keep your eye on that website for more information. Now, of course, the Corporate Report podcast has been on hiatus for the last few weeks as I pursue some other projects for the website. I'm not quite ready to reveal those projects yet, but rest assured that coming this summer you will be seeing some new projects from the Corbett Report coming out, so please look forward to those. And of course, during the hiatus, there was a rather remarkable news story that gripped the world in panic, the swine flu story. And rest assured that next week's episode of the Corbett Report podcast will be going into that story in much greater detail. Finally, today I'd like to draw my listeners' attention to the website, once again, CorbettReport.com, where the articles section has been updated and now has a very different look, at least on the front page of the articles section. Please go to CorbettReport.com and click on the articles tab to see the new look and feel of the articles section and read through some of the many articles that we've put out in recent weeks. But now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes from The Corbett Report, 27th of April, 2009. Swine flu. Who Profits? How Gore, Powell, Rumsfeld, and other multi-millionaires stand to benefit from swine flu hysteria. While global stock and commodity prices are tumbling due to the potential havoc a worldwide pandemic could wreak on markets, a Reuters article from last Friday points out that venture capital firm Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers is set to reap massive profits from the scare. Kleiner Perkins manages a biodefense fund whose portfolio includes two companies, 
viral enzyme-blocking manufacturer BioChrist Pharmaceuticals and viral vaccine manufacturer Novavax that are seeing massive upswings in stock price as the swine flu fears grow. So who are Kleiner Perkins' notable partners? Al Gore is one of them, and Colin Powell is another. Bill Joy, co-founder of Sun Microsystems and author of a controversial 1999 Wired magazine article about how the world's top scientists are discussing how humans may be wiped out in the near future as they are made obsolete in a new post-human paradigm, is another well-known name who has just profited from the current swine flu panic. Another notable financial winner in the swine flu sweepstakes is Donald Rumsfeld, infamous investor in and former chairman of Gilead Sciences, the firm that receives royalties from Tamiflu manufacturer Roche. Now that the media has been including free advertising for Tamiflu in virtually every swine flu story they run, mentioning it by name as one of the only effective treatments against the disease, Gilead's share price has jumped 5% in pre-market trading and is likely to see further increases. Our second real news story this week comes from the Chicago Tribune, April 27, 2009. Swine flu. Baxter seeks swine flu sample to begin work on vaccine. Deerfield-based Baxter has a speedier way to make vaccines than old method. With world health officials worried about the global outbreak of another deadly virus, Deerfield-based Baxter International Inc. once again finds itself involved in the action. Baxter confirmed over the weekend that it is working with the World Health Organization on a potential vaccine to curb the deadly swine flu virus that is blamed for scores of deaths in Mexico and has emerged as a threat in the U.S. Baxter which has an emerging vaccine business, has worked with the U.S. and foreign countries in the past to develop vaccines for the H5N1 virus, commonly known as bird flu. Baxter has a cell-based technology that allows the company to produce vaccines more rapidly in the event of a pandemic than a decades-old method that uses eggs and can take weeks or months longer. Although the egg-based method has produced safe and effective vaccines, Analysts say Baxter's method can cut production times in half compared with the older process. Upon learning about the swine flu outbreak in Mexico, Baxter requested a virus sample from WHO to do laboratory testing for potentially developing an experimental vaccine, company spokesman Christopher Bona told the Tribune. Today's third real news story comes from cbc.ca. 7th of May, 2009. Shelter scans fingerprints of homeless. A Calgary shelter is scanning the fingerprints of its homeless clients, citing problems with gang members and drug dealers sneaking into the facility. Dermot Baldwin, head of the Calgary Drop-In Centre, said people who have been barred from the shelter use fake identification to get in. The homeless shelter is testing a new $150,000 security system that scans clients' fingerprints, and Baldwin said he expects it will be fully up and running in a few weeks. The system is not a violation of privacy, Baldwin said. The information the scanner takes is for the center's use only, and will not be passed on to anyone else. Brian Eddy, a civil rights lawyer, suggested that the center rely on metal detectors or install lockers for people to leave their belongings outside 
as alternatives to the intrusive fingerprinting. We can give that helping hand without requiring fingerprints before you get a bowl of soup, he said on CBC Radio's The Home Stretch on Thursday. But they should not be treating everyone who goes to the center as if they're potentially a criminal. After all, these are Albertans. These are Canadians who have really done nothing wrong except be poor. Welcome, my friends, welcome to episode 85 of the Corbett Report, Bilderberg 2009. Yes, that's right, old man winter has shed his grey locks for the sunny golden tresses of spring, and it's now that magical time of year when a young international oligarch's fancy turns to global dominance. I refer, of course, to the annual Bilderberg meeting which I assume most of my listeners will be very well familiar with by now. But if you're not familiar with what Bilderberg is, might I suggest that you go back and listen to or re-listen to episode 44 of the Corbett Report podcast, Club Bilderberg. In brief, Bilderberg is an annual conference of elite international bankers, heads of state, royalty, key cabinet members in various governments, captains of industry, and media moguls who gather together once a year at a five-star resort near an international airport in a European or North American capital city. Of course, the thing that makes Bilderberg so interesting is the fact that despite 150 of the most powerful, rich, and influential people in the world gathering to discuss key international policy issues behind closed doors, not a single major corporate-controlled media source will cover the Bilderberg Group. And that's, of course, either because of, or despite, depending how you look at it, the presence of people such as the CEO of the Washington Post and key editors of The Economist magazine being actually present at the meeting. They will not report on what goes on there. To get a better understanding of the importance of this annual conference, let's turn to an article that I wrote last year for the Corbett Report under the headline, Government is the Biggest Business, from the 4th of August, 2008. Quote, Perhaps there is no better symbol of this relationship, the relationship between government and business, than the Bilderberg Conference itself. Every year since 1954, this ultra-secretive group of elites part of the superclass, recently defined by David Rothkopf, has met in private at a secluded resort near a major European or North American capital to reach a consensus on global geopolitical decisions for the upcoming year. According to a recent BBC documentary on Bilderberg, the group worked from its very inception to draw Europe into a single currency economic and political union. The 2002 conference decided that the Iraq War, originally scheduled for the fall of that year, would be postponed to March 2003, which is precisely when the war was launched. The 2005 conference decided on $80 a barrel oil in 2007 and $140 for 2008. To understand how Bilderberg can bring global politics in line with their wishes, one need only take a look at the attendee list. Founding members included SS officer Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, whose daughter, Queen Beatrix, is still a prominent member. 
David Rockefeller of the infamous Rockefeller dynasty, and Kenneth Clark, prominent British MP. Throughout the years, the group has maintained its focus on bringing together the centers of political and financial power. Past meetings have had then-CEO of Daimler Chrysler, Jürgen Schremp, rubbing shoulders with James Wolfenson, Tony Blair cozying up to Martin Taylor, the CEO of Barclays, and Alan Greenspan having a quiet word with George Soros. Indeed, throughout its history, Bilderberg has focused on bringing together movers and shakers in the business world with politicians in key positions of power. Bilderberg members, however, claim that there is nothing untoward in elected representatives making decisions about their country's futures in closed-door meetings with business magnates, financial wizards, and royalty. We are told that the secrecy surrounding these meetings, or privacy, to use their own rhetoric, is unimportant. These are just informal chats between some of the world's richest and most powerful businessmen and those who just happen to sit at the heads of governments and international institutions. As we have seen, Bilderberg's ability to bring global events in line with their wishes gives the lie to the old canard that these are just private discussions between private individuals. When private discussions between private individuals result in the implementation of global geopolitical policies, they are no longer discussions. In fact, one can see them as the annual parliament of an unacknowledged world government. The point to be taken from this is twofold. Firstly, anyone who believes that when 125 of the most powerful people in the world meet behind closed doors, that they are not setting global policy is naive, perhaps hopelessly so. Secondly, it becomes pointless to talk about corporate control over government agencies when all government amounts to, at least in its present form, is the largest corporation. In short, government is the biggest business. End quote. Now, of course, as the title of today's episode would suggest, we are going to be covering Bilderberg 2009 today, this year's conference. But before we do so, let's take a look back at the last year and some of the developments with regard to Bilderberg that have happened in recent months. For example, in March of 2009, listeners to the Corbett Report podcast might remember from one of the real news sections of the podcast an article that Politico.com wrote, which was picked up by CBS News, and the Politico headline was Bilderbergers Excite Conspiracists. Now, this is an interesting article that I would suggest that people go and read for themselves, and of course, as with every episode of this podcast, you can go to the documentation section of today's episode to find a list sorted by time index of key documents cited in today's episode. And this Bilderbergers Excite Conspiracists article, despite its C-word-employing headline, actually turns out to be a fairly even-handed look at the way that Obama's administration, like every major administration for the last few decades, has been infested with Bilderbergers. And it quotes quite heavily from Republican Representative Ron Paul, so once again, that article, and it's being picked up by major corporate media like CBS News, was an important breakthrough this year in reporting on the Bilderberg Group. Another interesting breakthrough, which again we also covered in the Real News section of the podcast, also came out in March of this year from an EU Observer article, March 16th, 2009, under the headline, Juries Out on Future of Europe, EU Doyen Says in which it quotes the current chairman of the Bilderberg Group, Mr. Etienne Davignon, 
as admitting what we had already established in episode 44 of this podcast, which is namely that the Bilderberg Group actually started the European, not only the European Union project, but the European currency in particular. And again, that comes from this article, which says, quote, A meeting in June in Europe of the Bilderberg Group, an informal club of leading politicians, businessmen, and thinkers chaired by Mr. Davignon, could also improve understanding on future action in the same way it helped create the euro in the 1990s, he said. When we were having debates on the euro, people at Bilderberg events could explain why it was worth taking risks, and the others, for whom the formal policy was not to believe in it, were not obliged not to listen and had to stand up and come up with real arguments. End quote. So there we have the chairman of the Bilderberg Group not only bragging that Bilderberg actually created the Euro, but in fact that anyone who was opposed to the Euro within the Bilderberg Group had to give their formal argument for why they were opposed to it. And as we can tell by the creation of the Euro currency in the late 1990s, that in fact those who were opposed to that project lost. As did, I might add, the citizenry of Europe. But that's a story for a future episode of this podcast. Of course, just as there have been major breakthroughs in reporting on Bilderberg this year, there have, of course, been the usual snide, derisive headlines and articles written to try to downplay the importance of the Bilderberg Conference, as if anyone is believing that old canard of the corporate-controlled media any longer. But, of course, it rears its ugly head once again this year in Slate.com, and an article from Jack Schaefer, who wrote an article last year denouncing the ridiculous idea that the Bilderberg Conference actually sets any formal policy or has any importance that should be covered by any media outlet anywhere in the world. And once again, Jack Schaefer is back at it this year, once again denouncing people who try to actually find out anything about the Bilderberg Conference, despite the fact that Slate.com, of course, is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Washington Post Company, and the CEO of the Washington Post Company regularly attends Bilderberg. Oh, no connection there, I'm sure. Well, if you actually want to go ahead and read the ridiculous puff piece, you can do so from Slate.com under the headline Bilderberg Preview. It's that time of year. Although I don't necessarily recommend it because you won't really find out anything of importance about the conference, but by all means, go ahead, knock yourself out, and I'll put the link up, of course, in the documentation list for today's episode. But let's start getting into some real research about Bilderberg, and obviously in order to do so, we have to turn to the alternative media, because the corporate-controlled media is ultimately not going to be our savior on any issue, let alone, of course, something of such central importance as Bilderberg. So earlier this week, I had the privilege of talking to Tony Gosling of Bilderberg.org, Bilderberg.org is an interesting source of information on Bilderberg that has been up since the mid-1990s and has been providing information such as Bilderberg attendee lists and detailed information about each year's meeting since that time. Bilderberg.org is also extremely useful for its extremely interesting forum. On the Bilderberg.org forum, which again I would suggest that all my listeners go and take a look at for yourself, you can find quite knowledgeable sources posting inside information about the Bilderberg meetings and also speculating year after year over where the next meeting will be taking place. 
Now, of course, the Bilderberg 2009 conference is coming up May 14th to 17th near Athens, Greece, but we'll be getting more into that later. But right now, let's listen to a bit of my conversation with the founder and editor of Bilderberg.org, Tony Gosling. And we'll start with an excerpt from that interview, which, of course, is available for listening in its entirety at the homepage CorbettReport.com. But in this excerpt, Tony Gosling and I discuss the founding of the Bilderberg Group and some of the, shall we say, interesting characters who helped bring the Bilderberg Group together. Absolutely. Well, the founding and and, uh, the establishment of Bilderberg does go back to some very interesting characters. What can you tell us about some of the people who started the Bilderberg Conference? Well, I mean, actually, there's two stages, really, to the founding of Bilderberg. First of all, uh, it was during the Second World War. We're talking about 1942-43, after the U.S. had entered the war. Uh, It was the Council on Foreign Relations War and Peace Study Groups that originally came up with the idea of of, uh, having something along the lines of Bilderberg to really reinforce U.S. uh, influence in Western Europe because they could see that they're basically waiting uh, well before the end of the war trying to make sure that the peace had been kind of organized before before it happened. So, so that was yeah. It was definitely the Council of Foreign Relations where where the ideas um, were born. And then, after the Second World War, the end of the forties and early fifties, um, there was there were two these two characters, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, who uh, before the war had been in the SS. You know, he was one of the first uh, people to well, one of the original people who joined up uh, enthusiastically to the SS before the war. And then during the war, he married uh, into the Dutch royal family. Um, Bernhard is a really quite a seedy character. Um, he was uh, he was involved in several scandals, including the Lockheed scandal in 1975, which many people will remember. Um, he was, uh, was there was a uh, one of the um, maids in a hotel in Holland discovered a piece of paper which incriminated Bernhard and um, proved that he would he had actually taken a million dollar bribe from Lockheed in order to get the Dutch Air Force to buy starfighters, which were particularly, um, well, they weren't a very good aeroplane, they kept falling out of the sky. And uh, But that's by the by, he'd been proven to take a bribe. And so the 1975 Bilderberg Conference, where which he was uh, supposed to be chairing, was cancelled. Um, so Bernhard was involved also, as a BBC Radio 4 documentary last year um, pointed out, in helping... Nazis to uh, get over to South America. So he was also on the board of uh, KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, and uh, it was shown that uh, it was quite a, a, a frightening connection, really, between Bernhard and helping escaping Nazis. So there is evidence that Bernhard was still kind of embracing this SS mentality, even after he married into the Dutch royal family and become so-called respectable uh, Westerner uh, after the Second World War. So. Uh, Bernhard died three or four years ago, and um, he was probably the most charismatic and uh, persuasive figure, uh, being a royalty, to be involved. But the, the other guy who was less in the limelight uh, was Joseph Rettinger, who's uh, born, in, I think, in Krakow in Poland uh, before the war. But he was also shown to be working for MI6 during the war, which one would expect, you know, because he was the aide to the Polish leader in exile, um, right through the Second World War, and one of the first 
flights or first uh, journeys that Sikorsky took without Joseph Reschinger was the flight um, which, uh, where he unfortunately died um, when he was flying out of um, Gibraltar. Uh, now, Rettinger, um there's a lot of stuff being written at the moment in Poland about Rettinger. In Polish, unfortunately, it's not been translated into English yet, um, which shows that Rettinger was a Freemason. And um, also that he was uh, a, a, an enthusiastic European, almost before the European movement had started. So, you know, there's this whole sort of nexus of people who are trying to create a political, a long-term political, um, um, I suppose, their idea of a political solution, which is essentially a kind of United States of Europe. So they're doing this really early on. Um, and uh, Rettinger and Bernhard are key people in all this. But, you know, the European movement was uh, something that started in... Uh, just after the Second World War, and uh, and so Rettinger was one of the key people in that as well. Tony Gosling of Bilderberg.org. And once again, I'd like to encourage my listeners to go and visit the Bilderberg.org website, and especially the Bilderberg.org forum, in order to find out more about the information that's contained on that very informative website. But turning now to Bilderberg 2009... Now, as I mentioned earlier, the, this year's conference will be taking place in Vulumini, Greece, near Athens, from May 14th to 17th, coming up at the end of this week. It will be taking place, of course, at a five-star hotel known as the Nafsika Astyr Palace Hotel, which is right along the coast and thus will probably be very difficult to get to. But this information comes from a couple of sources, one of them being Daniel Eschelin, who, of course, I've played clips of in previous episodes of this podcast. Of course, he's the author of The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, and a press release from Trine Day Publishing, which publishes The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, uh, released a press release on May 5th, 2009, which was picked up by Canada Free Press under the headline, Annual Elite Conclave, 58th Bilderberg meeting to be held in Greece, May 14th to 17th. And it reads in part, quote, The 2009 Bilderberg Group Conference will be held at the five-star Nafsika Astra Palace Hotel in Vulamini, Greece, May 14th to 17th, according to author Daniel Eschelin. Insiders have told Eschelin that rooms have been booked and flight plans made. He has also confirmed the location and dates with sources in Greece. Eschelin is the world's foremost investigative authority on this annual secretive and exclusive assembly, having investigated and infiltrated their meetings for over 10 years. His books and reportings have helped to bring the powerful group out of the shadows, even directly affecting the very conduct and timing of the meetings, and encapsulating them in an even deeper shroud of secrecy. The Bilderberg Group started meeting in 1954 with funding from the CIA to gather together the top Western bankers, politicians, media barons, corporate CEOs, and European royalty in annual gatherings for frank discussions on important issues of the day. According to Estelin's sources, here are a few of the talking points and concerns for this year's meeting. The future of the U.S. dollar and U.S. economy. The plan is for the Bilderberg Group players, through their allies in Washington and Wall Street, to continue to deceive millions of savers and investors who believe the hype about the supposed upturn in the economy. They are about to set up for massive losses and searing financial pain in the months ahead. The bank stress tests now being conducted by Washington are little more than a shameless hoax. 
based on the irrational assumption that the economy won't get as bad as it already is. U.S. Unemployment Solutions and Assumptions, stated as such in the pre-meeting booklet sent out to attendees. Bilderberg is quietly assuming that U.S. unemployment numbers will hover around 14% by the end of this year, far higher than the official numbers released by the U.S. government. Depression, or a prolonged stagnation, stated as such in the pre-meeting booklet sent out to attendees. Bilderberg is looking at two options, either a prolonged, agonizing depression that dooms the world to decades of stagnation, decline, and poverty, or an intense but shorter depression that paves the way for a new sustainable economic world order with less sovereignty but more efficiency. There will be a final push for the enactment of the Lisbon Treaty, pending on the Irish voting yes on the treaty in September or October. One of their concerns is addressing and neutralizing the anti-Lisbon Treaty movement called Libertas, led by Declan Ganley. One of the Bilderberger planned moves is to use a whispering campaign in the U.S. media suggesting that Ganley is being funded by arms dealers in the U.S. linked to the U.S. military. End quote. Again, some very interesting information coming out from a very knowledgeable person with inside sources from the Bilderberg Group itself, Daniel Eschelin. And, of course, another person with such sources who has been an incredible source of information about the Bilderberg Group over the decades, in fact, longer than any other current reporter, is Jim Tucker of American Free Press. Jim Tucker has been covering the Bilderberg Group conference every single year for the past 30-plus years, and he has been a mainstay fixture of Bilderberg reporting in that time. And, in fact, Jim Tucker and American Free Press were reporting that the meeting would be taking place this year in Vulamini, Greece, uh, from May 14th to 17th back in April, so scooping Daniel Estulin by a few weeks. Once again, Jim Tucker is one of the most knowledgeable sources about the Bilderberg Group and its goings-on, and this week I had the incredible good fortune to talk to Mr. Tucker about his reporting on Bilderberg and what he expects to be on the agenda for this upcoming 2009 edition of the conference. So right now, let's take a listen to a short extract from my conversation with Jim Tucker, which, of course, once again, is available for download from the homepage CorbettReport.com. This is James Corbett of the Corbett Report. It's the 4th of May, 2009, and I'm talking to Jim Tucker of AmericanFreePress.net. Um, Mr. Tucker needs no introduction. He is the premier reporter of the Bilderberg Group and its uh, ongoing conference for the last 30 years. Uh, Mr. Tucker, thank you for joining me today. And, uh, it's my pleasure. Please, please <coughs> pardon my spine flu. <laughs> well, I understand that uh, that you're also quite a smoker, so so maybe you should. Uh, uh, well, I smoke less than four packs a day. Well, that's uh, that's not too much, I guess. All right. Well, Mr. Tucker, tell us uh, just briefly a little bit about yourself and your history reporting with Bilderberg. Well, my first twenty years was with the mainstream newspapers. The held high positions on the Washington Daily News until it folded up seventy-two. I was night editor. I did on the copy desk, Richmond, Virginia Times, Dispatch. After the how they can generally call me assistant news editor, whatever that meant. And I've been editor to about three different smaller dailies over the years. And uh, 
came to Washington in 1975 and was hired to get pregnant and create the spotlight, which is the forerunner of American Free Press. That was when I first heard of Bilderberg. I'd never heard the word before. So uh, I was doubtful. But they gave me a great deal of material on Bilderberg, excuse me, including uh, the late, great, uh, caused by, uh, oh, Lord, I can see his face. I'm trying to remember his name, who first reported on Bilderberg in, 1957, he is a syndicated columnist, Westbrook Pegler, of course, and he had been uh, told about some mysterious meeting off of Jekyll Island, uh, Georgia, a place surrounded by armed guards and only uh, limousines and helicopters allowed in, and so he grabbed his binoculars and went down and climbed up the big hillside and identified by sight since he is world traveler a uh, large number of the participants, they raised logical questions. Why are they meeting in secret? What mysteries are they up to? Naming a large number of them that we identified in two of his lengthy columns, one following the other. I read Westbrook Pegler for years and years, always a fan of his. So at that point, I became convinced. And then the same question. Uh, talked in my mind, how could I be spend 20 happy years with newspapers, with bar machines, AP and United Press talking beside my uh, ear all day, bureaus all over the world, and not be aware of such a group. So at that point, I came committed to chasing down and exposing Bilderberg. Well, of course, I think a lot of my listeners are, are familiar with the Bilderberg Group and, of course, uh, some of your incredible adventures. And uh, if they're not familiar with your work, I would suggest they get your uh, book, Jim Tucker's Bilderberg Diary, to find out more about some of your previous reporting. But let's talk about Bilderberg 2009. First of all, can you tell us what details that you have uh, so far on Bilderberg 2009 and how you've uh, cultivated that information? Uh They'll be meeting, and I'll be flying out there this next Monday uh, in Lulamini, Greece, which is uh, very close to Athens, Greece. Uh, May 14 to 17, they'll be meeting that uh, during that weekend. And how on their agenda uh, will be some obvious things like the economic chaos throughout the world, how to exploit that. Uh, their hopes are to create an international department of the treasury. Uh, a World Department of Treasury in the UN. They'll, they'll be trying to exploit the uh, funny swine fluth uh, thing. In fact, it's being manipulated just to create a fear in the hearts of uh, the world uh, so that the uh, World Health Organization can become a, a World Department of Health and Human Services sort of operation. Now, now, is that something we, we, that you've gotten specifically from your Bilderberg sources, or is that something that you've cultivated from other sources? Uh, several inside sources uh, who, if they were identified, would no longer be sources because they would be recognized by, they'd be called leaks by their own people. Right. Uh, but I can say uh, these sources haven't failed me in many, many years. Uh we have stories going this week about the funniness of the so-called swine flu. Okay, we have a couple hundred cases in this country, but every year, 350,000 Americans get some form of flu. Every year, 
more, uh, more than 30,000 Americans die of some form of flu. So they took out the flu, decided to give it a uh, call it swine flu, and let's scare the hell out of the whole country. In fact, let's scare the world to death. It created a, a demand. Bilderberg's always uh, thought that using fear was a effective tool. It absolutely is, and of course we remember just a few months ago on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, Henry Kissinger saying that the Obama administration had a chance to use the, crisis, the financial crisis to create the new world order, and of course uh, a swine flu pandemic, whether real or imagined, could be used in the exact same way, I'm sure. What about other issues that you expect might be covered this year? Well, always the uh, issue, although they're, they're, they've been losing that battle of transforming uh, the Western Hemisphere into the American Hemisphere, uh, similar to the European Union, is part, which would be another giant step toward world government. But on this one, as Americans become more aware, they become less effective. The, uh, back in the 90s, they were confident that they'd have uh, the American Union established by the year 2000. Now, this is nine years later, and they're further behind, or, or they've gained no ground. And that's because Americans are becoming aware, in spite of the complete blackout by the mainstream media, the major newspapers, and all these uh, major network uh, outlets have uh, promised to never use the word Bilderberg, report nothing on Bilderberg. But last year at Chantilly, we had a large number of these independent daily newspapers and independent broadcasts, radio and TV stations uh, covering Bilderberg, and, and of course, of uh, American Free Press, and uh, I can't name all the uh, various, but there's a large number of independent media there, uh, privately owned, smaller newspapers, privately owned, uh, not network, uh, or uh, TV uh, and uh, radio stations, and there's becoming more and more aware there are senators and house members who used to attend on a regular basis are scared to go because they hear from their constituents. So uh, truth is our greatest weapon, and Bilderberg has been slowed down, punched in the belly, and we're going to hit him again. Jim Tucker of American Free Press at AmericanFreePress.net Indeed, as Mr. Tucker pointed out, we are hitting them very hard in the info war. And people are starting to finally wake up to the true underlying geopolitical reality that is governing the world around them. And that is through such institutions as the Bilderberg Group. And of course, this the Council on Foreign Relations in the United States and the Royal Institute for International Affairs in England and the Canadian Council of Executives in Canada and all the other organizations, institutions, and behind-closed-door conferences through which the fate of the supposedly free and democratic West is routinely decided before it is ever announced to us, the plebes. But this is not a cause for despair or a cause to pack it in and give up. On the contrary, the fact that people are waking up to this real geopolitical power structure is the most hardening part of the whole process. And as Jim Tucker pointed out, the alternative media showed up in droves at last year's 2008 conference in Chantilly, Virginia. And hopefully people will do the same this year at Vulimini near Athens, Greece. This is a point which was also raised in my conversation with Tony Gosling. 
Do you have any plans personally to attend this year's conference? This one in Athens? Probably not, no. Uh, I mean, I tend to um, to try and sort of assimilate stuff on the internet. Um, and, I mean, if, I think if we have another one here in the UK, then uh, I definitely will attend it, or if it's a bit closer by. Um, but um, I, I find it's probably just as useful for me to be here on the internet um, assimilating reports. But I do think it's important for anybody that's uh, got the time and resources, the money to actually go along to one of these conferences, to just go along, take a few days off, take a, lot, a long weekend, take your camera and, um, and your uh, mini notebook or whatever it is, your little mini laptop, and write some reports. You know, chat to the staff around the hotel before and after, go and visit the hotel, and you'll find that uh, there's actually a tremendous amount. I mean, I've found, through, for example, you see, people seem to think that this is some sort of big, scary conference. Actually, you'll find a lot of the staff are very sympathetic to the press, more sympathetic to the press than you might necessarily expect. I mean, some of them are very, very tight-lipped and obedient, but you also get staff who will come out and say, oh, yeah, well, they were talking about this, they were talking about that, because they just they realize that what's going on in there is some kind of conspiracy, a cabal, and um, that they um, can see it as possible for them to do a small bit for democracy, uh, for freedom, by walking out and speaking to some journalists about stuff they've overheard. The other thing, of course, is that you also get plenty of participants who are also unhappy about it, particularly the politicians. I mean, they're not the only person in the world who's sort of talking up politicians, but you find particularly European politicians who are also very unhappy about the idea of this kind of degree of secrecy for something which is such an important think tank. I mean, essentially, that's what Bilderberg is. It's a think tank, but it's the, the think tank, and it's the think tank which a lot of the most influential ideas seem to come out because they're backed by so much money. So I really would encourage you know anybody who's up up uh, has got a bit of spare time and a bit of spare money on their hands. It's a brilliant experience going along to one of these conferences, as I've done several times myself. And the other thing is, of course, that you have a fantastic every evening, the Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, uh, and th Thursday as well. Sometimes you, you have a fantastic time uh, at, at the Alternative Hotel with Jim Tucker from American Free Press and various other journalists from around the world having a really good cut and thrust discussion and debate about world politics because quite clearly the journalists that go along to Bilderberg and the amateur researchers that go along to Bilderberg if they're not plants or spies are there because they're probably some of the most switched on thinkers and writers in the world once again, I'd like to reiterate my support for Tony Gosling in that statement that indeed it is important for people, if they have the time and resources, to go to the conference and to let the elite international oligarchs know that we know exactly what is happening behind those closed doors and that we will not stop protesting and fighting against that agenda in every way we can and exposing them peacefully through the info war. Of course, I'd like to encourage my listeners to keep an eye on AmericanFreePress.net and Infowars.com for more information about the Bilderberg 2009 conference as it happens. But also, you can keep an eye on CorbettReport.com, as 
Although I don't like to mention interviews before they've taken place because they sometimes don't work out for whatever reason. But I currently have Daniel Eschelin scheduled to be a guest this Thursday on Corbett Report. So once again, please check with the homepage CorbettReport.com or better yet, subscribe to our free RSS feed for our interviews so you can get the interviews delivered directly to your music player as they're conducted. So once again, please keep an eye on that and also the new and updated articles section of CorbettReport.com for continuing coverage of this year's conference. Of course, last year, the 2008 conference was covered by Alex Jones and the Infowars.com team. And as part of the retribution, I suppose, for Alex Jones bringing so much attention to the Bilderberg conference last year, he had several death threats against himself and other dirty tricks campaigns played against him by various people obviously connected with the Bilderberg group. Now, of course, you should go back and listen to some of the episodes of the Alex Jones show from June of 2008 to get more of a sense of what was going on at that time. So today I'd like to leave you with a clip of the Alex Jones show from June 2008, in which Alex is playing his fa- one of his favorite songs, and a song that became something of the Bilderberg Victory theme song for the Infowars.com crew, during their trip to Bilderberg in June 2008. I am your host, James Corbett. Thank you for rejoining me with the Corbett Report podcast. And join me again next week for episode 86 of the Corbett Report, Medical Martial Law. This was our theme song in D.C. and Virginia with military intelligence, diplomatic security services from the State Department following us, trying to set us up. We just cranked it up. We had a lot of fun fighting that tyranny. Crank it back up. fighting for this republic. We're the real Americans. Don't let it be said that we didn't stand up, we didn't fight. Don't let it be said that we didn't have fun doing it while we even risked our lives. Richard Reeves did a great job. Rob Jagas, Aaron Dykes, and myself. That was my team. And I salute you. And this song is for you. Smokey's got his ears on. He's bound to die. He's got his ears on. He's hot on your trail. He's not going to rest if you're in jail. It's us or them. we got to beat the new world order. got to do it now. Here it is. And he's hot on your trail. And he ain't going to rest till you're in jail. So you got to dodge him. You've got to duck him. you got to keep that diesel trucking. Just put that hammer down and give it hell. Loaded up and trucking, we're gonna do what they say can be done. We've got a long way to go, and a short time to get there. Just watch your bandit run. I tell you, it says it all. Run it back about a minute. I want them to hear that part where they say, uh, Oh, Smokey's got his ears on. Right by the National Reconnaissance Center. <laughs> yeah, old Smokey had his ears on, listening to everything we were saying and doing. But we beat him. 
We took over that Bilderberg Group meeting. We shut down one of their conferences, bullhorning it, point-blank range, right up there in front of the dragon, punching him right in the nose. We did it! The spirit of America! Yeah! Old Smokey's got them ears on. He's hot on your trail. You got to dodge him. You got to keep that diesel trucking. Just put that hammer down and give him hell. He's pounded down. A little victory song for the boys. We got a long way to go. And it's short time to get there. Just watch old bandit run. <laughs> the real Americans defending the republic. The American people, I salute you. Everybody that came out there to confront the Bilderberg Group. Everybody that was there, I just absolutely love you to death. Old Smokey's got his ears on, and he's hot on your trail. And he ain't gonna rest till you're in jail. So you got to duck him, you got to dodge him. You got to keep that diesel trucking. Just let that hammer down and give him hell. I love it. We're having fun all the way, folks, even if it's to the gallows. We're committed. It feels good to be on the side of right. It feels good to not be afraid. It feels good to take action. You know what? We even know it's a victory when you call up threatening our families. It lets us know we're on the right side. It lets us know you're the trash. It lets us know we got to you. It lets us know our lives mean something. It's about a bunch of ball games and acting silly and screwing around. It's about living for decency and honor and freedom and fighting these generational interests that think that we're their slaves. We will never surrender. We'll be right back after this quick break with your calls and a lot more. He's pounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm East Pound, just watch your bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some never mind them breaks. Let it all hang out, cause we got a run to make. The boys are thirsty in Atlanta, and there's beer in Texarkana. And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes. He's pounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go, and a short time to get there. I'm East Pound, just watch your bandit run. 